Before we get to tonight's episode, we are very excited to invite you to join us for a special evening of virtual horror trivia this Saturday, June 27th at 8 p.m. on Zoom from uh, wherever you're quarantining. With June being Pride Month and with everything that has come to the forefront in the fight for racial equality in the past month, we feel compelled to use our modest little platform here to do something, to amplify voices and to try to empower some really great organizations that are out there fighting for equality every day. So on Saturday, we are going to be raising money for the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund and the Transgender Law Center. Um, A little bit about them, the Transgender Law Center works to change law, policy, and attitudes so that all people can live safely, authentically, and free from discrimination, regardless of their gender identity or expression. The Transgender Law Center is the largest uh, national trans-led organization, and they do all sorts of amazing work in support of transgender and gender nonconforming people. Um, And the second charity that we're going to be raising money for is the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund. It is America's premier legal organization for fighting for racial justice. Um, Fun fact about them, they have been involved in more cases before the United States Supreme Court than any organization except the U.S. Department of Justice. Think about that for a second. In addition to everything they do inside the courtroom, they do a ton of great work outside the courtroom, including advocacy, outreach, legislative, and scholarship work. So two really great charities that we're going to be raising money for on Saturday, and here's how it's going to work. If you want to play, we ask that you make at least a $10 donation to either charity or both, and certainly more uh, if you if you would like to, um, and send us a screenshot of your donation confirmation to horrorontherocks at gmail.com by noon on Saturday, June 27th. Um, we'll then send you a link to the Zoom meeting and a Google Doc to use as a score sheet, and Horror Trivia will start that night at 8 p.m. on Zoom. So, you know, pretty simple. Um, we think it'll probably last an hour or two, and we're still kind of uh, hammering out the format, but I think we can tell you that there's going to be, um, a, you know, a few different prizes, including movies, uh, possibly some booze, and a first-place prize of a $25 gift card to a restaurant, bar, or small business of your choosing. So, Please join us on Saturday, June 27th from wherever you're quarantined, live on Zoom at 8 p.m. for some great trivia, for some great causes. Um, There'll be a lot more information about it on our Instagram, and you can DM us uh, if you have questions. Uh, We are at Horror on the Rocks. And without further ado, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Horror on the Rocks. On tonight's episode, Frank, Joe, and special guest Mike review 2012's The Cabin in the Woods. They're coming for you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. <laughs> Welcome. To another episode of Horror on the Rocks from Home. Quarantine edition. Yes, we are back with another remotely recorded episode. 
uh, Joe. I, I drove a mic to uh, Joe's house for him to use to help his sound quality out. And in the process of doing so, scared the ever-living daylights out of our guest today, Mike. <laughs> yeah. uh, special guest, uh, Joe's husband and partner in quarantine and in life, is joining us for today's episode. When I came to their house, I think I told Joe I was coming, but Mike didn't. <laughs> So I pull up. Uh, it's yeah, pouring rain. Me a heads up. It was like a really dark, rainy day. Mike's sitting like towards the front of their house reading, and I have a mask on, and I'm delivering a microphone in the back. So I just walked up, and I saw Mike, and I knocked on the window. Mike, Mike was initially shocked when he saw me, and then further terrified. Why is there a person with a mask on knocking on my window? I had to like he- pull my mask off to identify myself. Can you show me what his face looked like? It I know like, the listeners the, can't see, I, I but mean, the initial was just kind of like, uh, but then it was a continued like for like yeah. a brief second. Like, who is this? Why is he here? What is going on? It was like a horror movie scene in and of itself. Yes, right? it, a little bit. Um, so we are back with a movie that Joe picked for this week. Uh, or Joe and or Mike. I did I'm run not... it by our special guest. Okay, so okay. I wanted to run it by Michael because he's not a big scary movie fan. Is that correct? I would say that um, I'm I'm a fan of horror movies, but I don't like the, the really blood and gutsy kind of horror movies, which <laughs> yeah. this movie uh, it has like a lot of bloodbath. So. Yeah. Um, well, so I gave him some options from the list that you compiled from last um, the last episode, Frank, yeah. of all the movies that are available to stream. So we went through some of the options and Cabin in the Woods was the one that just kind of spoke to him. Um, all right. Here we are. <laughs> so here, here we, we are. are. We're going to do Cabin in the Woods. Um, you know, horror news. Our list this week is actually we're going to break down. There is uh, in the, the end of the third act of this movie, there is probably... 50 different kinds of ghouls, monsters, creatures, etc. We're going to break down our list of the favorite uh, kind of creatures from the end of this movie. Before we get to that and we get to everything else, guys, what are you drinking? Yeah, what are you drinking, Michael? I made myself a, a sort of espresso martini. Ooh. It's like a little bit of caffeine and alcohol at the same time. So, What, what goes in a, a, a Mike espresso martini? Um, a little bit of vodka, a little bit of a uh, shot of espresso, some coffee liqueur, and then you can do like Kahlua or Bailey's, um, and just shake it up and you got yourself an espresso martini. Lovely. Joseph? I went a very different route. I have a um, vodka, lime juice, and ice blend. Uh, so it would have been a moscow mule but we are out of ginger beer so it's a moscow mule minus the ginger beer gotcha gotcha i know and it has some um fresh basil from our basil pot outside oh lovely couple a couple of green thumbs over there huh you know, you got to do something to pass the time these days, Frank. <laughs> There's only so many hours of television you can watch at a time. That is true. I'm I'm actually taking a card out of your book for our, or a page of your book from last time. I'm drinking a Levante Brewing Cloudy and Cumbersome. It's a uh, a hazy IPA from a brewery that's based out of Westchester, where I'm quarantined with my family and where I grew up. Um, you actually see them on taps in the city a little bit when when you're able to go see taps in the city, um, but they're really good. They have a ton of other beer. They have like a whole you know food truck program the way a lot of these kind of pop up warehouse breweries go. 
Um, but they're great folks over there, and they make really good beer. And they, as as all the others that we discussed last week, um, are available for pickup. And and they're even feeling uh, crowlers can can to go and uh i don't know if they're doing growlers but they have a significant amount of beer that you can buy to go there so cool um and they're based in westchester yeah they're they're right off matlack street in westchester right by the uh right by the university so if you are in the area should swing by there maybe we'll do an episode check them out i was just i was just corrected that my drink contains mint and not basil i was gonna say basil sounds kind of gross <laughs> it's, a, it's a green leaf they're See, all the, the, same, the face right? that mike just made just now like this is similar to what i saw of, of him on the sofa that day oh uh, this is gonna be a long episode yeah. okay here we go <laughs> um before we get into horror news I, I just wanted to mention two things um both kind of relate to our uh friend and former guest on the show adam from love city the first is that he um he kind of tuned me in or put on my radar a show on shutter that comes on every friday night it's, it's called the last drive-in it's hosted by a guy named joe bob briggs who some of you might remember from hosting monster vision on tnt he hosts a double feature on Shudder where they show movies uncut, but they do take breaks throughout to either interview with people that were involved in the movie or talk about behind the scenes stuff. Um, and it's just been like a really fun way to, it almost feels like kind of a social thing. He has a assistant that does Twitter. So it's like kind of like live tweeting the whole time. Um, and it's really fun. He can get a little ranty and I don't, I certainly don't agree with everything that he says, um, but it's, it's just fun. He's really opinionated. The movies are, are usually kind of old school, gory, uh, you know, cheap, low budget stuff. But uh, two weeks ago, they did a, uh, a Dario Argento movie, a famous uh, Italian director that did Suspiria. So I'd never seen that. That's really great. Um, if you if you look on uh, Joe Bob Briggs's Twitter, you can get a, a link for a three a free thirty days of Shutter. Um, so sign up and do that. So you can you can check it out at at no cost to you. And if you cancel before the end of 30 days, um, you don't get charged anything. Are um, these the stories that you're posting um, of yeah. you watching? Okay. It, yeah, on our on our Instagram. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, because they're they're coming out later in the evening and yeah. it's past my bedtime. Yeah. So if anyone's watching these stories, it's courtesy of Frank. Yeah. Um, so it looks like you're having a great time. It is. And honestly, like I'm, I'm, you know, live, I'm tweeting. And so, oh yeah. Horror on the rocks is a Twitter now. Horror on the rocks spelled the normal way, except uh, R O X instead of R O C K S. Oh, uh, interesting. Why'd you go in that direction? Because horror on the rocks, the way we spelled was too long. It told me it was like too many characters for a Twitter handle. So who are they to tell us what? Who to do? are they? I agree. But, Joe. All right, thanks for making us uh, more relevant in this. Uh, <laughs> day. The the other thing I'll say is another thing from Adam. Um, you can find Adam on Instagram. I want to say it's Composite C A M P O S I T E. Um, you can find him on Instagram. He uh, and this is something we might end up doing with him in the future. Is he works at also in addition to Love City at a bar in Port Richmond where they do like a movie night, and he's doing them uh, through Zoom now. So it's like a virtual movie night, um, but it's really cool. And I haven't done one yet. I might try to check one out this week. But it's a, it's like a Zoom chat and live movie stream at the same time. Just for I feel like you know amongst everything else that people are missing is kind of like watching movies with friends and having kind of like a social experience around watching movies. So um, those are two things that, you know, are kind of on my radar, one that I've done, one that I want to do um, to kind of, you know, socialize a bit around the stuff that we enjoy, yeah, even though we can't that's be together. A cool way to That's a cool way to connect what Adam's doing. And I noticed that 
um, people can vote actually for the movie that's going to be watched that particular week. Um, so yeah, definitely check out his Instagram for further details. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Adam was great. We had him on for um, the Blair Witch Project. So, and he knows yes. his stuff. He's very knowledgeable, way more knowledgeable about <laughs> yeah. our movies than us. So yeah, it, it's, it's really great. So check him out. Yeah. Um, cool. Let's jump into some horror news real quick. Um, okay. I have a few things kind of in the same vein of last week. It's a bunch of kind of stuff getting delayed, but a few things new on the radar. Um, the Olivia Wilde-directed thriller that we talked about from last time called Don't Worry, Darling. It's, it already had Shia LaBeouf, Chris Pine, and Florence Pugh. Correction from last time. I was calling her Plu the entire right. episode. Right. Um, but they just got Dakota Johnson on board as well from uh, oh. the Suspiria remake, the Fifty Shades movies, you know, really good actress. Cool. So that's cool. Um, Edgar Wright, who uh, you would probably don't realize that you love him, Joe. He is Simon Pegg's writing partner. Um, He co-wrote Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz! Yeah, and he directed both those movies and Baby Driver. He's actually about to put out a horror movie that's going to come out in September. Uh, It's called The Last Night in Soho, and it was going to take place in the 60s. It was supposed to be very kind of like uh, trippy visually, but it was going to star, it is going to star Anya Taylor-Joy, who we love from Split and from um, The Witch. From The Witch, yes. But that had a September release date of course that's getting pushed um that was the other movie actually we were thinking of watching for today's episode the witch which is an excellent movie in and of itself yes Um, you guys should watch that movie something that we do actually have to look forward to in the near future uh the second season of the twilight zone reboot with jordan peele is coming out june 25th they're dropping 10 episodes all at once um Mike Flanagan, who I feel like is the new Chloe Grace Moretz that we talk about like every episode of this show, I guess coming off the success of Dr. Sleep, he's being signed on to do a film adaptation of a Stephen King movie called Revival. Um, CBS is making a Silence of the Lambs spinoff TV show called Clarice. Uh, Clarice is going to be played by an actress named Rebecca Breeds from Pretty Little Liars, but it will also star Cal Penn from Harold and Kumar. Interesting. Um, keeping in like the Mike Flanagan sort of related news, Elizabeth Moss is going to star in a movie called Shirley about Shirley Jackson, the woman that yeah, wrote um, – she wrote The Haunting of Hill House, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, looking to look into the English teacher here to confirm my, that I got the author <laughs> right. It's done by Neon, which are uh, the, the company that did The Lodge and, and have done a lot of other uh, good stuff recently, and that comes out uh, June 5th. Um, Joe, are you are you sitting down? Are you in a good place? They are seriously talking about making another Scream movie, and there are rumors that Nev Campbell will be reprising her role of Sydney. In it. Yeah, so we talked about this oh, in a former we? episode. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. My bad. Yeah, but um, there wasn't a there wasn't any confirmation about the cast, but it sounded like Scream Five. Yeah. yeah was in the works and was confirmed but oh so nev is in talks she is in <laughs> talks yeah apparently it's it's a you know one of a million things that it's kind of getting put on hold um yeah. while they're you know we're dealing with this i did we talk about that it's going to be directed by the the directors that did the ready or not movie no so when we were last talking about this of course passed away so um there wasn't any yeah, I don't think there were any updates at that point about who was directing. Um, but interesting. Okay, so they yeah. have a director locked in. Locked in. Yeah, they uh, they uh, I can't remember their names, but they're the directing team that did that Ready or Not movie that came out last year, year before. Um, and how can you can't have Scream without Nev? So I mean, I'm glad she's. Yeah, that on seems board to be the general cool. consensus among you know folks of your sort that love Scream and 
and uh, they, they, they're not interested in a version of it that doesn't have her in it. But then you also need Courtney Cox and you also need David Arquette. So yeah. I hope they're on board too. Um, uh, the Spiral from the Book of Saw, the Chris Rock Spiral movie. I think last time we or Saw movie, the last time we talked, uh, it was indefinitely pushed. The release date's going to be next year, May 21. Um, and the last thing I have is Dario Argento, who did Suspiria and Inferno, Deep Red, very famous Italian giallo uh, kind of horror director. He's going to do a new movie called Black Glasses that's going to be scored by Daft Punk, which is awesome to me and kind of on brand for him, too, because his movies have always had really kind of amazing scores. A bunch of them were done by this band called Goblin. Um, and a lot of uh, actually the soundtrack to the movie Tenebrae actually became a very popular dance hit by a, a group called Justice when we were in college. Um, but Daft Punk hasn't scored a movie since they did Tron in 2010. So uh, I'm very excited because Dario Argento hasn't made a movie in almost 10 years. So um, it'll be cool to see what they do with it. And Olivia Wilde was in that movie Tron. So now it all comes full she circle. Was, she was. She was. And if we could string it back to Chloe Grace Moretz, we will have closed the loop on all of it. You know what's interesting, Frank? The what? amount of times we reference Chloe Grace Moretz, you think we would have talked about a dozen of her movies? I don't no. think we've reviewed <laughs> one of her films yet. No. So maybe for the next one, if we don't do Nightmare on Elm Street, maybe we'll do um, a Chloe Grace Moretz film. Yeah. I have one piece of news, though. Um, so. Props to Mike, who was on our episode for Halloween season of The Witch. He sent me the trailer to this new show on HBO that looked pretty cool called Lovecraft Country. Um, it is executive produced by Jordan Peele. And it looks like it's about a guy who goes searching for his father. And there's some horror elements. And I'm not really quite sure what unfolds, but it looks like there um, is a whole sort of scary things that come along the way it's gonna come out in august on hbo um and the trailer is out so check it out it looks pretty cool is it lovecraft as in hp lovecraft is it like based on hp lovecraft stuff or frank no follow-up questions i'm not that <laughs> i don't know i don't know come on. <laughs> you should be happy that i came prepared with one thing <laughs> that, is, that is true that is true all right well on that note should we just should we get into cabin in the woods yeah let's yeah. do it I guess before we do that, I, Mike, I, I feel like you're kind of, I don't know, lukewarm, like kind of not a huge horror fan, but not um, maybe not a horror hater. Was there a horror movie that like spoke to you growing up or a movie that really scared you, um, you know, when an early on in watching horror movies? Yeah, the first uh, horror movie that I think I watched um, not not out of my own free will was It um the old one or the new one the old one yeah like definitely explains like my early like fears of sewer grates and um (laughs) yeah i just remember like my older male cousins sort of sitting me down and us watching it and not really knowing what i was about to see but you know from then on just being afraid of like walking by a sewer grate and like getting like (laughs) smashed but um, I think the first horror movie that I really watched where I, like, willingly watched it was probably um, Rosemary's Baby, where, like, I remember watching it and being really interested in, like, the, the storyline. And, and I, I definitely think it was on, like, the tamer side in terms of, like, gore and, and um, like, slasher horror and that sort of thing. But yeah. I, 
I uh, I definitely remember thinking like, oh, this movie is like a really well put together film. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was kind of interesting just to kind of like analyze the changes that the um, main character was undergoing while she was, you know, getting impregnated by the devil. But yeah. I remember loving that movie. Well, you know, if you love it so much and you would like some additional commentary on it, we have done an episode on Rosemary's Baby, which you and others should check out in our back catalog, available on Spotify, SoundCloud, <laughs> everywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for plugging it, because I was just about to do the same thing. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll love it even more based on our brilliant, brilliant commentary um, that is provided. Yeah. So I guess on that note, let's start talking about this movie. Yeah. 20, 2012 or 2011? I saw two different dates online. 2012. It yeah. was supposed to be released earlier than that, but there were some financial issues with funding. But it yeah. was finally it finally was released in 2012, um, which never seemed that long ago. But when you think about where we are now, eight years ago. Yeah. Actually, that's a decent amount of time. Yeah. It know, was uh, um, it was directed by a guy named Drew Goddard, uh, who co-wrote it with another guy named Joss Whedon. Um, Drew Goddard's most well-known for Cloverfield, uh, World War Z, and uh, The Martian. But I guess uh, he got hooked up actually doing TV with Joss Whedon, his co-writer, working on Buffy. Um, and Joss Whedon also did Firefly. And fun fact, co-wrote Toy Story, um, as well as worked yeah. on a bunch of the Marvel movies. The so, original one, the first one. Yeah, right? so these guys definitely have some experience with screenwriting. And this is a relatively big budget movie, for, I feel like, for something like this. $30 million budget. It made 66.5 in the box office. It is 92% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. 76% audience score. Which I gotta say really surprises me because, I, Ooh, those yeah, fighting words, Frank. I mean, uh, well, uh, so Mike, you were seeing this for the first time. First time, yeah. How? What was your kind of initial thought when the movie ended? Like, did you did you enjoy it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it like it definitely, I think lands differently for horror movie nerds than maybe. Um, the casual horror movie viewer yeah i mean i think one of the cool things about the movie is just kind of noticing all of the horror movie references while you're watching it yeah um but i mean i i i similarly share some uh surprise about it being that well received because i think that um when I finished the movie, I thought, wow, that was that definitely took a lot a really interesting turn by the end. But I think that it got a little bit um, ahead of itself. Like it, it's it almost got too self-satisfied and too yeah. uh, self-referential by the end. Um, but I definitely think um, it's it's an interesting take on horror movies, yeah. which I think is unique. Yeah, I mean that's I think that's probably the at least for me it's it's the thing that I would say like the 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 best thing I could say about the movie is like they really did they kind of did they took clichés, stereotypes, kind of um things you would expect um kind of kind of put them in a way that you're like I'm really expecting everything here. Why does this feel so on the nose? And they do take a big turn with it. Um so you know that is it I will say it was at least original. It just 
I didn't. Yeah, where's I didn't, the butt? Where's yeah, the butt? I didn't like the payoff. I guess is like oh. I kind of realized there was something else going on, and like, man, it really, everything is really on the nose. Everything is is is, uh, you know, kind of archetypical of what you've seen in other movies. Is there a reason for this? And then when they kind of give you the reason for it, I was like, eh, eh, I mean, okay. All right, but I it didn't it didn't really like I, I didn't love the way it tied up, um, but I did I did kind of like some of the earlier parts of the movie. But we'll get into the details later. Joe, this is a movie I I assume you've seen before and and enjoyed again on rewatch. Yeah, so I saw it when it came out, rewatched it with uh, Michael, and still really enjoyed it the second time around. I think it's such a fun, clever take on horror movie stereotypes cliches i think there's like a really good sense of humor to the movie which i appreciate yeah um i always enjoy and appreciate a horror movie that has um a, a specific sense of humor and they kind of pokes fun of it's pokes fun at itself um so yeah i really enjoyed it the second time around i mm. thought it was a lot of fun to watch um, yeah. and it's just such a different take on horror movies and i think understanding where the director and the writers were coming from made me appreciate it a little bit more um, so like you mentioned, Frank, directed by Drew Goddard, written by Joss Whedon, who I loved. Um, I love Buffy. Did you ever watch Buffy growing up? Yes. I mean, I wasn't like a religious, like reading the fan sites Buffy fan, yeah. but I catch some Buffy here and there. Actually, I'm a bigger fan of the Buffy movie from the 90s uh, with, uh, I want to say, Christy yeah. Swanson plays Buffy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I love that movie. Da- David, Ar- <laughs> David Arquette. Yeah. David Arquette as becomes a vampire. Yeah, I, I and uh, Donald Sutherland. Um, I really like that movie. I was a casual fan of the TV show. Okay, so you definitely see some overlap though with um, you know some thriller, horror elements, mythology. Yeah, um, but it was interesting. So Joss Whedon um, and Goddard, who again were the filmmakers, um, pretty much they wrote this by the way in three days, which is wild. Um, three days they wrote the screenplay that is a lot um, to pack in in three days man. they described it as a loving hate letter to the genre um and i think what they were really trying to go with was that they appreciate the genre of horror movies but they were just so sick and tired of these torture porn kind of horror movies or people just yeah um dying bloody violent deaths for no reason and just like really uninteresting um sort of vapid characters so they were kind of critiquing that and they decided to create the satire on that but add like some other elements to it so um seeing it from that point of view i was like oh i totally get what you were trying to go for um and I thought I thought they they nailed it, but yeah, I mean they definitely a- they definitely hit satire. It's more I I think it's more of a satire than it is a comedy or a horror. But I, I take issue with this the, the quote that w- Whedon gave when he when he said things I don't like are kids acting like idiots. The devolution of the horror movie into torture porn and long sequences of sadistic comeuppances. Well, me personally. I like me some torture and some sadistic comeuppances. So, you know, it's not yeah. something. Although I will say, for that was his position. Man, he really kind of, really kind of changed his tone with his third act that they wrote, where they have tons of torture and blood and guts and gore. But I guess you know, you say you coming from the kind of uh, satire, kind of coming from a different angle. It, it's definitely original. You know, for for whatever kind of negative review I have of this movie, is an original idea. Um, I get what they're doing. It's just, you know, not, not, uh, you know, not my favorite thing, but anyway, yeah. should we kind of get, get into, into it? Um, yeah. so we have the five main characters. We have Dana, who is the, uh, the main girl, sort of the final girl. Um, we have the stoner Morty, 
Marty? Uh, Marty, excuse yeah. me, Marty. Yeah. Um, we have Jules, who's the blonde best friend. We have the jock, his name is Kurt. And then we have Holden, who's kind of this, um, yeah. he's not a nerd, but he's definitely uh, a thinker. Yeah, yeah, a thinker. Well, right? he also, he also like, he hits the, their, their group is the most stereotypical, you know, horror teen group ever, right? The, the, the virgin final girl, the stoner guy, the, uh, you know, attractive jock, blonde couple, and then one or two more characters that are always some combination of an intellectual and someone who's just not a just a white guy and and jesse williams character is both of those in this movie they they check all the boxes uh, but do you remember before that that opening scene in the house there's actually like kind of a, a false start to the movie that starts in the lab with bradley whitford and richard jenkins character kind of driving around um, yeah. I, I read online, and then they remember they they stamped the screen in red, cabin on the woods, and they, I think they blast like metal music for a second. But uh, apparently, the filmmakers wanted to confuse audiences and make them think they walked into the wrong movie. And that they did. That yeah. they did. If you didn't know, like those two actors were in the movie, you're probably like, what? Why are there two sort of scientists folks in a lab talking about childproofing a house? And- yeah is this the right movie I walked into? So I kind of appreciate that they wanted to throw people off. And it just goes to their sense of humor, yeah. I think, with presenting this movie. Um, but in that in yeah. that kind of back to the house then, so in this initial setup, the first two we meet are Dana and Jules. Dana is, sounds like she got out of what was probably a in very inappropriate relationship with a professor. Or he, something fell apart there, and Jules is telling her, listen, we're going to get over that. We're going away this weekend. You know, Chris Hemsworth coming, and, and Jesse Williams' character, um, Holden, he's coming for you, that sort of thing. It's going to be great. So, we're going to have a getaway. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth's character, Kurt, he's like, yeah, my cousin has this house, this cabin that we can all kind of check out. So let's go, you know, let's go to this house for the weekend and just kind of unwind. So that's the setup. Um, and we see them kind of drive off in their RV. And then they, of course, have their little, you know, cliche stop at the um, the gas station with the uh, yeah. kind of spooky, creepy. Standard um, issue, turn back now, last chance a, character. Missing a tooth, little, you know, little yeah. off-looking uh, yeah. gas station attendant who kind of warns them, you know, yeah. says it be- some things. It becomes- I'm wondering if we could back up for a second, though, before we get to the the, guy, the creepy-ass guy at the, the gas station, but... There was something about that opening scene that was two things that were really strange. The first was um, the fact that the main girl, the the virgin, so to speak, like the one who plays that sort of virgin archetype, I guess, she, like you mentioned that she was like describing this relationship that she had with the professor, which it, it like more than heavily insinuated that they've actually like, you know that she's actually probably not a virgin that they yeah. had like like a relationship like that and she's like just standing around in her underwear yeah. and she even um, forgets that in, she's like, in her underwear the neighborhood like <laughs> yeah. she's just like standing parading in front of this window remember they have and a then, full like, they have a full discourse about going away before chris chris helmsworth has to tell her oh by the way you don't have pants on and all yeah and she's like she's oh jumping. right <laughs> as they're leaving um in the van you see the shot of the of this man who's like been on the roof with the, with the like, this whole time with, like, the little ear set. Yeah. And it's like the first moment where you're kind of like, huh, what's kind of going on. Yeah. Yeah. With- I will say the, the real star, the scene stealer of our meet the characters opening is Marty's like three foot coffee thermos bong. 
<laughs> it looks like a coffee thermos, but then it has another it's like kind of two feet of bong underneath. And his theory is is that cops will never pull over someone who has a bong in their car because they'll the the cop will be afraid of the or or think they they've got it going on or I don't know. Classic some uh, you know Marty. Uh, there's a lot of Martyisms in this movie. Yeah, some fueled by logic it, there. By well, I'm glad logic. you mentioned the guy on the roof with the radio set who's like, hey, they're on their way because that's one of the first. Other than the opening scene where you're like, wait, what's happening? That's just another little piece of this puzzle. Like, wait, what is this movie about? Who are these people? What's happening? So I kind of like this mystery that's unraveling. And then the next kind of indication that we get that there is sort of maybe more at play than what we're seeing with these characters and what they're aware of is as the 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 rambler, as they call it, drives through a tunnel. They're kind of uh, there's an eagle flying side by side that just slams into an invisible force field and dies. Which yeah, is my, not which that is, I wanted them to kill a real eagle, of course. I thought the effects, I thought it was a cool scene for what it was. I thought the effects were so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so after the gas station attendant has his little um, conversation with the kids, he calls the lab techs. And he, so he's on the he's on the phone, the gas station attendant's on the phone with Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford's characters. And I just love this scene where the gas station attendant's on speakerphone, but doesn't want to be. And there's this whole back and forth of, wait, am I on speakerphone? I don't know everyone that's listening. Why am I, why am I on speakerphone? Yeah. And it just kind of goes off on this ridiculous, silly tangent that really just made me laugh. And I love that the movie, again, doesn't take itself too seriously because it's willing to have scenes like that. I also think it's a very realistic um, reaction to have because I hate if I'm on speakerphone with people I don't know or if I'm on like the bus and I hear someone talking on speakerphone so and I'm like do you know all these people are listening in on your conversation right. so I thought it captured that dilemma so to speak very well do you, yeah it's do you, a good example of how the movie like undercuts <clears throat> the scary moments like the horror moments with comedy like yeah. you know he's this harbinger demon you know who's like issuing this warning to you know about the the kids but also about the two lab techs and and like all the while that that's happening they're kind of making fun of him which is really my yeah. some of my favorite parts of the movie it kind of reminds me of like i don't know a scene from the office almost yeah. like with they like the pranks that they used to do with on dwight Schrute. i think that that like the yeah. whole lab tech thing gives me like serious office prank vibes throughout the whole bit yeah they have they have some really good kind of scenes down there um that like playing into things that happen in a lot of people's offices like some sort of office pool gambling which we'll get to later and of course you know bradley Whit whitford and richard jenkins this isn't their kind of first dabble into comedic timing and they they really kind of shine in those scenes um without really delivering any punchlines. it's all kind of in the way they talk and the things they do but you know bradley whitford was in happy gilmore um he he has lots of kind of uh, lighthearted breaks as his character in uh, the West Wing. And uh, Richard Jenkins, of course, has been in a million things. But, you know, Step Brothers, uh, Burn After Reading. So th those scenes down there, I think, are, are really are fun in and, of them, in and of themselves. 
So they arrive at the cabin, and it is... Um, it is verbatim the cabin from Evil Dead. It looks just like it. It is, yeah, it is it's small, run square, down. run down, you know, in the middle of the woods. Like, it, it is It is every cabin that you've seen these five archetypical characters arrive at in 90-minute in movie after movie and eventually get slaughtered. Which is, yeah. this is the point in the movie where I was like, Wow, man, this movie's really derivative. Like, you know, not realizing kind of where we're headed and that there is a reason behind that. But I was like, man, this is like, have these people not seen enough horror movies to realize that they're See, copying everybody else? They but watch the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if this was the cabin you're staying at for a weekend, what would your reaction have been? Like, you're really pumped for this. It's, you know, presumably this is like really nice weekend getaway and you roll up and this is what you see. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be on Airbnb on my phone <laughs> looking up other listings. Yeah. I think it, my thought would have been we should have brought two kegs of beer because right. I would need yeah, to get really exactly. drunk to fall asleep like how, in this place. How well stocked it would be. I mean, it's like, it's one of the beginnings of like the character sequence of bad choices. Let's talk about their cliche. kind of uh, exploration of the house as they all kind of, you know, they go in, they get divvied up, they in their bedrooms. The one scene that I think is like, I think is like pretty well done is the scene where Jesse Williams goes to his room. He sees that really kind of like carnal, savage picture. He takes that off, and he realizes that he has a two-way mirror to Dana's room. And I think they, like, they had him look through that mirror without her noticing, without her knowing, and starting to undress for just as long as they could before we turn on his character and go, okay, this guy's a scumbag. Like, he watches a little too long, for sure, but, like... Yeah. Not enough that we think he's a bad guy. Um, right. But then and course- to his credit, he switches rooms with her. But what I love, though, is that the quote-unquote virginal main character is actually doing the exact same exact thing. Exact same thing. So they switch rooms, and then she starts staring at him yeah. undressing. So also, like, but he's he obviously knows- not this, like, goody two-shoes virgin. And it's funny that, of course, as the movie unravels, which we'll get into, they all become these archetypes. Um, but yeah, but she's she's not who you think she yeah. is either. So you know, it's so funny. Like they talk about putting the painting back before they switch rooms, but they don't. So Jesse Williams or uh, what's his name Holden knows when he goes in there and begins to disrobe, he knows that she could see. <laughs> he knows, oh, he that knows she full see well him. what he's doing. Yeah. And as a viewer, I was like, that's fine. Like keep going. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I if I if I had abs like that, I'd probably show him off more as well. Yeah. So. Of course, they're, they're, they're unwinding, they're settling into the house a little bit, and we have all these cuts back and forth between, you know, the, 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 five ki- the, the five college kids and then the lab techs, you know, in this lab, and you're kind of wondering what's going on. Yeah, this um, is when we realize that they have surveillance on this entire house in every room. They are, they are watching everything that's going on. Right, right. So in these cut back and forth that happen in that scene, we get a couple things. First of all, we start learning that they are they are trying to take chemical influence over these kids. They talk about putting something in Jules's hair dye in the in the kind of the meet the character scene in the beginning. We learn she just dyed her hair blonde. Um, they're pumping like pheromones and um, you know various sorts of things to kind of lower the kids' inhibitions. We also start to get inklings of why they're doing what they're doing. Not not a real explanation, but there's discuss of the game and whether or not the game is rigged and they they talk about we put them in position and they have the choice of free will to decide what happens they're Um, basically lab rats there's actually a reference that they're like lab rats yeah they choose their fate um you know there's like the usual montage in these types of horror movies where they're like in the lake having fun everything's great and hunky-dory and then that night they start to pop open some beers and they get liquored up and they start you know their truth or dare dare game um 
this is where there's a really bizarre dare. So Jules, <laughs> um, the dumb, the dumb blonde, which is really funny because she's actually pre-med. She's not dumb at all. Yeah, and um, we do learn that about a bunch thing. of these characters that they're not the stereotypes that they're led yeah, to right. be. Right, like, on the full academic scholarship. Exactly. I know, I love that. Yeah, he's like a sociology major, the athlete. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a truth or dare game going on, and there's a dare for Jules to make out with this wolf head. That's you mean Moose? You mean Moose? Because Marty is living in a womb of reefer that he cannot identify the difference between what a moose and a wolf look like? That's pretty problematic if he's that messed up where you can't tell the difference between those two animals. Other than them being mammals, maybe? I don't know how you can confuse them. No. Um, What was any takes on that scene? It's just like it's so It made me very uncomfortable. There is like a lingering shot. Like she doesn't just like do a nice little peck on the wolf's mouth, I guess. It got like she got like you know, full on Frenching the wolf, which kind of not only made me uncomfortable, but I, but I thought that they were going to have that be like the first scare. Yeah. It definitely, you know, was meant almost like when they dive into the lake, like I I was sort of wondering, okay, is this the moment where someone's going to, I don't know, get, you know, bit by like a underwater creature yeah. was the wolf's mouth gonna like snap shut because it goes on for so long it's so <laughs> long so long it's a lingering shot yeah. it's interesting because i i know that like the movie has a lot of myth mythological references but i i feel like that that was sort of a reference to little red riding hood and the big bad wolf i mean they they even reference like oh that the wolf is gonna huff and puff and blow the house down which is more like little pigs reference the three little pigs. amazing my like, love and literary reference undertones to like the little red riding hood you know tail type you know see, there's all see, this Joe? uh kind of metaphors of like consuming little red's innocent body to sexual coming of age um and almost like that the that Little Red Riding Hood is both like scared of the wolf, but also kind of turned on by the wolf um, throughout the whole like fairy tale. But um, I would have never thought of that. Overall though, it was just like completely like, yeah, just a lingering shot. It was uncomfortable to watch for that long. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's still going. Yeah. Um, I had the same process though. I thought it was going to bite her. And you know, it's funny. I would have never, I would have never thought of like that literary reference, but now that you say that, that feels so on point. Yeah. The beast in the woods, you know, the cabin in the woods. So the game goes on and all of a sudden the cellar door just kind of like pops open and Dana's dare is to go down into the basement to investigate what's going on or just check out the basement um, they all enter, and Marty's Marty's comments here is so funny to me. He knows that there's something something's off. Like he knows this doesn't seem right. It's a creepy basement. There's like baby doll heads. There's all these strange looking artifacts and just scary looking things. He's like, guys, I dare you all to go upstairs, huh? Anyone? <laughs> That's like something I would say. I feel like it's like this seems uncomfortable. This cannot end well. What are we doing here? But um, you in danger, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're yeah. all investigating. And then Dana finds this diary of this girl. Um, I think her name is Patience? Yeah, Patience, Buckner. Yeah. Her, like, her last name was Buckner as the, the Buckner cabin that the gas station warned them of. 
Yeah. So like, you know, frontier days, she has this diary and it's about, you know, her kind of sadistic family. There's this, re this really cruel family that very religious. Yeah. And there's this Latin phrase. And as we've seen in, you know, a bunch of these movies, particularly um, Evil, Evil Dead. Dead. I mean, this is straight um, out of Evil Dead. Like, and we know this won't go well, right? I yeah. think Marty or someone even says like, don't read Stop the Latin. It. Like, yeah. don't read the Latin. Yeah. But she does. Yeah. Um, and at which point we find out that the bet has hit in the lab. They're like, oh, yeah. like, you know, yeah, yeah. Took so the... by reading the Latin, she summons this uh, zombie redneck torture family quote yeah. um, who has a 100% success rate. So it's funny because as the viewer, if you haven't seen it before, you're like, oh, okay. So is this, this is all like rigged or planted somehow? Yeah, there's this scene where, um, all the lab workers are in this room with a whiteboard that has a list of different monsters and there was a bet going on i guess and uh you know again it, it was these this zombie family that's gonna go after the the, the students um and there's some i think there's some like cheering because i guess some people predicted you know correctly what sort of monster was yeah. gonna go after the kids um yeah. the maintenance department <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Which again, and then, there's of... even there's even a dispute, remember? The one girl's like, No, 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 no. I had zombies. She and then Bradley Whitford's like, mm -mm. The <laughs> correct the Amber was zombie. zombie redneck murder family, not zombies. Two totally different bets. I know. It's so messed up because when you think about it, they're just like <laughs> placing bets on how these kids are gonna get slaughtered. This well, is interesting because the one there's like this new guy who has just gotten hired as like a security security i guess like he just got the military clearances or whatever it is so that he can participate in this and he has this conversation with this other office worker who's like the uh member of the ke chemistry department and she's she says like oh yeah this is sort of dark i know but this is just how we have how we're gonna like let off steam you know and because our jobs are sort of sacrificing. Yeah. Uh, we human. also we also get a great bit of foreshadowing here. Bradley Whitford's disappointed that the bet didn't come out with Merman. He goes, Am I <laughs> ever gonna see a Merman? Richard Jenkins like, you don't want to see a Merman. It's a ton of cleanup. It's just it's just a whole mess. Be glad we don't have Merman. These guys have a hundred percent success rate. Did you like picture like the who's the the king triton in the little mermaid uh we should definitely talk about the merman when it makes its appearance but that is not what i thought a merman would look like at all not <laughs> it was a uh, shocking version of what a merman yeah. <laughs> yeah. so after the bet kind of clears we come back upstairs and and you know the beers are pouring they're, they're back in the upstairs of the house they're not in the basement anymore um marty of course starts to notice that everybody's not themselves you know jules is really ditzy uh you know uh not holden what's what's chris hemsworth character's name kurt kurt is being very alpha and it's not really him uh, but uh, you know as as is inevitable in a, in a horror movie cliche the the handsome couple needs to go have sex so they head outside um they end up in this clearing and then we we really get to see the extent to which the lab can manipulate where they are you know they they start flirting around and she's like mm, i'm a little cold so then we cut to richard jenkins who's like got a digital thermometer 
bumping up. Ooh, he's changing the outside temperature, right? And yeah. then and then she's like, oh, well, maybe we should go back inside. They start releasing pheromones through the ground and like moonlit a little like sex patch in the woods for them to do it on. <laughs> they, you know, they start getting after it. And as Joe mentioned, or you know, we we have our first kill here. We have the uh, the redneck family uh, kind of <laughs> stumble upon uh, Jules and Kurt, and they uh, go after the couple. Um, Jules gets decapitated. It's pretty bloody. Yeah, <laughs> they don't they don't use like a buzz saw. They just use a real conventional saw. Yeah, like a yeah. like an old school two man <laughs> like, lumber saw. Yeah. yeah. And they, they like that they have like a bear, like one of them has like a bear, tra- is it a bear trap, I guess? It's like yeah. a claw yeah. thing that they'll He's, throw on someone's back. Yeah, yeah he snaps severe. it down on um, her back and drags her over with my it. My favorite way to fish. But yeah. it's funny because like <laughs> as this is happening, we get these cuts to the lab scene and you know, you have the lab workers just kind of watching and they're saying, you know, gotta keep the customer satisfied. Yeah. Um, we know what's at stake here. So um, they're just sort of like longing and waiting for this death to happen. And after the death happens, um, we hear the lab people say this sort of prayer. It says, we offer in humility and fear for your slumber. And there's this lever that's pulled and blood just starts to flow um, uh, down into like this kind of like tunnel and it starts to fill up this image. You don't see like the full image yet, but you just see like the blood flowing. So further, just little nuggets of like, what what is going on here? I think that blood pouring into the carving thing was the first moment where I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this explanation. I think I'm going to think it's stupid. Oh, I kind of liked it. I thought it was cool. Like this sort of hieroglyphic carving into the, you know, this stone. I thought it was at least like the machine was kind of interesting looking. I'll give you that. I was trying (laughs) to like figure out if they just had like vials of blood at the ready or if like, how did they get the blood yeah. from her? Is it her the... blood? Yeah, that's a that's yeah. A it was a little yeah. confusing, but I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but I definitely felt like um, it was the first moment where you know what you mentioned, Joe, about like who's watching. It's not just for like to kill her, but it, you have to kind of like create like a scene where like she is exposed in a certain way. It's almost like you know, playing things up for an audience who's expecting the kill to look a certain way. Yeah, yeah. there's this female objectification, you know, where she undresses. Of course, Chris Hemsworth's character is fully clothed. She is pretty much, you know, shirt unbuttoned, exposed, um, which you yeah. see so many times in these which, horror like, movies. Which, like, how about that? How they're all, like, super creepily pulling a, a Jesse Williams from earlier, like cheering to like see this girl naked. And then Bradley Whitford's like, all right, everybody get out of here. And then he and Richard Jenkins just like watch intently as they have naked sex. You're just like, I, yeah. what? But any go, I digress. Um, we get cut back we- to the house and Dana and uh, Jess are having some very PG 13, uh, making out on the couch. Marty's just like sick of this shit. He goes outside and sees, uh, a Kurt, who's taking an injury, runs back inside. He's like, we got to go. It's There's there's people out there. They're going to kill us. Dana's like, I'm not leading, leaving without Jules. And right on cue, the giant zombie with the bear trap uh, on a chain open, <laughs> pops up the door and throws Jules' head to Dana, which is probably my favorite part of the movie. It was a good catch, yeah. I must say. I mean, yeah. really yeah. well done. Um, it's funny, though, because right before that happens, though, Dana, like and you said, Dana and Holden are talking, 
and they're having this conversation. It's the first moment where Dana realizes that something is off. She's kind of self-aware because they're talking and they're making out or whatever. And she's like, oh, I've never done that before. Then she's like, well, I don't mean never. And she's confused as to why she said she's never done that before because she's obviously not a virgin, but she's like becoming one all of a sudden. I love this part when Chris Hemsworth who's very rational. He's like, we got to stick together. We got to stick together. And all the lab tech people are like, no, 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 no. They're being way too smart about this. So they like release some kind of, you know, mist chemical. And then all of a sudden, Chris Hemsworth changes his tune. And he's like, you know what? We got to split up. (laughs) (laughs) I just love the comedic timing of that and how that was all just kind of done so well so they, they all of, they split up they all up into they their, go own their rooms. rooms they, they get go to locked their in their the rooms. doors just lock yeah <laughs> and they're stuck in their room dana gets separate. attacked through a window she then you know uh holden breaks the two-way mirror to pull him in pull her into his room I, somewhere around this point that marty realizes there's a camera in his room right yeah he finds yeah. the camera and he actually thinks he's on a reality show yeah <laughs> Which is pretty amusing because Which it kind of is in a way. I still would have liked as a better premise than what we actually got. <laughs> um, um, and this is actually how we lose Marty, or so we think. Um, so he gets pulled out the window, um, and uh, it looks like he gets stabbed or attacked by uh, one of the zombie family members. They flee to the camper, um, start making a break for it, and that's when we get the the cut to the uh, lab where we see the feeds from around the world. And we realize that there are supernatural, some sort of, you know, not not dissimilar to this, happening all over the world, and they're failing. So and like in the we, opening part of the movie, actually, one of the opening lines is they're talking about Japan and Stockholm and how Stockholm went south and how only Japan and the U.S. are left. And actually, before this scene, there's a snippet of this... Um, kind of demon ghostly girl very very ring-esque yeah and she's in this classroom with these like young japanese schoolgirls terrorizing them and the girls are screaming the doors locked you're like oh interesting and then the scene you're talking about right now (laughs) you find out which again just credit to the writers it's i I found it so funny my favorite part yeah um the girls what what happens here what did you like about it i loved that you know it's pretty dark because you get the sense that like this is the Japanese equivalent of like the J horror like typical movie plot where there's these like creepy ring like girls who have it's dark hair and they're you know they're just kind of like sinister demons and she this demon girl has like this whole like classroom full of little like innocent girls I mean she's just like the best scenario that she can just like feed on this whole like yeah you know children. twenty group of, group group twenty girls and they all circle up and they start singing this like kind of kumbaya song and they turn <laughs> and I guess like their powers combined and it it like neutralized this uh little demon ring girl like captain planted her into a a frog right turned into a frog it was like kiko spirit is now and we will live happy and it it becomes like a sweet little fairy tale like they're all cheering and everything is great and And richard jenkins is pissed he's like they're gonna start parts of the movie yeah right richard jenkins is pissed he's like they were supposed to kill those little girls right Um, so now there's this added pressure that it's all on them it's all in the u.s now to complete this kind of ritual or whatever's happening because all the other countries have failed and we got to get this right we got to but they're like no worries the road the the cave the tunnel is caved in there's no way the rambler can get out until they realize it isn't 
you think they may actually escape. You think, you know, Kurt, Dana, and Holden are going to escape in the RV through the tunnel, but behind the scenes, the press of a button, um, the, the, the tunnel just caves in. And uh, so they have the idea, which seems like not a bad idea. Uh, Kurt's going to go on his motorcycle, and he's going to, you know, zoom off and jump over the the hill and yeah. the canyon and you know save the day it's it's a um, dirt bike that that ravine is not it's super deep but it's not that wide like with a you know reasonable dirt bike jump with an experienced dirt biker it would seem as though you could do it yeah and, he's uh, like i got this you know yeah. i can clear this no problem i'll come back and get help and we um, see but, the but reason he know that there's that electrical fence that the they killed the eagle that eagle in yeah. the beginning um, and just when you think, you know, just when they think, oh, he's got this, <laughs> so he goes off and he slams into this electric fence and just boom, just toppled down. Yeah. So yeah. failed, evil, Knievel. Yeah, and then so they, I think that's also when the characters really realize, like, whoa, we, this is like a, th- this is not right. There's something really off here. We are like lab rats in yeah. like an experiment. There's something way wrong here. So Hold- um, Holden and Dana hop back in the Rambler, turn it around. Um, little do we know that our, our leading zombie character uh, is in the vehicle, stabs uh, Holden through the back of the head. The, I didn't uh, see that coming. Yeah, no, that, that was a good jump scare. Uh, Rambler plummets into the lake, and we get a cut to the lab. They are stoked. Everybody has apparently been killed in the order they're supposed to have been, and the virgin's death is optional. So they all they crack the bubbly, start the beer pouring. It's a par- it's an office party. As in the background, there's this very like violent tossing around, beating, uh, stabbing of Dana by the bear trap wielding zombie, kind of on the dock of the lake as she escapes from the Wrangler. It's such a it is kind of like a funny backdrop for what's going on yeah it makes me think of how desensitized viewers are to these horrible graphic gruesome images that are presented in a lot of these horror movies and even though it is a movie um we're we're kind of desensitized to like the brutality of it to a certain degree and sort of just gloss over it overlook it and they're just you know having their bubbly and chatting and meanwhile this like really awful awful thing is happening on screen that they just couldn't care less about so yeah it's sort of a i don't know it's, it's commentary i think on viewers of horror movies as well maybe just kind yeah. of um not not thinking much about what they're watching sometimes perhaps or like what's on screen and kind of just being desensitized to some of the brutality that we as viewers are often presented with oh the commentary of this movie I don't know. Frank, I don't know. PhDs were so smart today. (laughs) (laughs) No, I just mean like the the commentary that they were going for there. It's like, okay, yeah, I get it. We're desensitized. These movies devolve into these kinds of scenes all the time. But like, I I don't know. It was, I don't know. And this is kind of like a false ending for a minute, right? Because we're like, oh, everybody's happy until the phone rings and Bradley Whitford picks it up, shuts down the party and goes, wait. They're in the wrong order. Something didn't happen. He's like, no, no, no. Everything happened according to guidelines. And then the star of our meet the cast scene re-arrives. Marty's alive. Right Marty as the, ain't dead. Right, right as the uh, bear trap wielding zombie swings the trap on a chain around its head to snap it onto Dana and end her life. Uh, he he reaches up with his giant metal thermos bong and like catches the bear trap from behind away from the zombie. Yeah, multiple um, uses. For yeah, that. 
and then and then they uh they they scamper away and they're like wait a second are we going are we going into a a grave and they get in there and all of a sudden they're in this like concrete bunker looking room it feels like it, this is the transition point of either you will really like the last third of the movie or yeah. you're gonna hate it because i i think that like one of the things that's kind of interesting is, is this like back and forth between you know the this control room this uh you know, group of like lab techs who are kind of watching all of this happen and then like all the horrible things that are happening to these college kids. But now you're going to like the um, two worlds are are colliding. So basically they end up in the elevator and they see uh, it's like a glass elevator that's like a wonka vader. It goes up, down, side to side, all around. Something between the wonka vader and, and whatever they were in in Cube. They end up at their first window pane, and there's a werewolf on the other side. Then it moves, and they're on their second window pane. There's a ghost, and then they're on their third window pane, and they see this guy that has circular saws on his head who's holding one of the trinkets that was in the basement of the house. So it becomes clear to the characters at that point that um, they were choosing how they were going to die. Like, had they right. had they acted on that trinket, they would have gotten this guy, but because she read the incantation first, they ended up with the redneck family. We get a big zoom out to this ridiculous, uh, like, labyrinth of Wonka Vader cubes that are filled with a million different kinds of monsters. I actually love this shot. I think this shot's so cool when you see this wide pan view of all the cubes and the different monsters. And actually what I thought was really amusing is that in the script, this part is described as the Costco of death. I guess like in the script, the way it was <laughs> written to kind of capture it. And I was like, oh, that really perfectly sums yeah, up kind this of the, shot. Because kind you of have is the Costco of every death. possible horror movie, killer, creature, villain, yeah. whatever. And it's just a really neat uh, display of all that. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they end up getting the elevator to come to the lobby, right? But some point around this mo- point in the movie that we realized that um, – Essentially, Marty has to die before Dana dies or lives. Doesn't matter. But Marty has to die or there's going to be big problems. So the elevator opens. There's like a guard there with a gun. And he's like, come out. Just a girl. So he's very clearly going to shoot Marty. They like overtake the gun from him. They run out. There's like a whole SWAT team there. They jump into like the control room for the elevators, mess around with the buttons and, you know, hit, you know, let's party basically. And cue our million cubes from the, the Costco from hell or Costco of death to drop creatures, monsters, demons, spirits, everything they could have thrown at the, the, high sc- the college kids into the lobby. And they begin to violently massacre the guards of the lab. Mm-hmm, yeah. I need to talk a little bit about the setup of this lab. These are the most dangerous things on Earth. They are they are the things not of nightmares, but from nightmares or something. <laughs> There's some quote about that. Or th- these are what nightmares are from. How is it that these cubes somehow have access to like the rank and file office space of the lab? It is absolutely absurd. Uh, I mean, obviously, in a movie filled with absurdity, there's you know satire yeah. comedy. I mean, but yeah, just can you like, really look at it that seriously when yeah. the whole premise is about you know a ritual to please yeah. these ancient gods yeah. so i mean come on <laughs> like why have a button called the purge button yeah you know? like doesn't that feel like a <laughs> yeah. sort of a design failure and well, that brings us to our list though. yes so yeah. we were gonna we we're gonna do our list of our of these monsters of which there are 
there's at least probably 50. What are your top three monsters, creatures, demon spirits that you saw in this kind of uh, mega brutalization sequence at the end? Mike, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. So, I mean, they're all the classic uh, scary monsters, but the ones that I thought were kind of hilarious and and <laughs> I don't know if I would call them scary is more more than kind of funny is that there was a unicorn that unicorn is epic that used its horn as, as like a, an impaling tool it's a murderous so unicorn definitely did not know that a unicorn was a horror movie uh you <laughs> yeah. know yeah monster but we'll go with it yeah so joe what's your first one uh i gotta go with the merman so i thought the yeah. merman was um disgusting looking <laughs> not yeah. what i expected a merman to look like he uh, he no gets his Charlie merman bradley like, whitford like, gets killed by the merman that he was disappointed he never got to see which doesn't look like a man at all it's completely mer it has a mouth like uh one of the characters from what the like the ghoul from ghoulies like it's i don't know how would you describe it it's like a like a gross blob of a creature that um kind of like uh the creature from the Black Lagoon, almost, but just yeah. um, like chubbier, a little <laughs> mucusy, and like, and I don't think that it could ever, you know, it, it has to kind of like slink across the floor if it's not in water. It, so it's like it's like a slow, yeah, <laughs> like attack on Bradley Whitford's face. All right, what about my, you, Frank. My first one when the when the initial the everything comes flying there's eight elevators four on each side the the SWAT team goes oh shit here we go boom everything flies in the room blood splatters everywhere I paused it and I just wanted to get like a good look at whatever everything that was going on the second elevator door on the left side is just an evil tree it's a tree comes out of the elevator grabs somebody and pulls them back in so my my first pick because you got to figure like they've got to come up with 50 to 60 you know 75 different horror things they're just like fuck it huge tree huge murdering tree reference (laughs) what'd you say evil dead reference the angry tree oh i hadn't thought about that is there an angry tree in the evil dead I'm thinking uh, of the, the only book. Tree I know is from Pocahontas. She's, she's like the Mother Earth, sweet mother and um, grandmotherly tree. My Not sister tree, Amanda would so be so know. mad at but me. Kind of made me think of the Harry Potter tree, the one that yeah, they, like guards the castle. Yeah, like it's sort of like an angry, you know, revengeful tree. I guess. <laughs> what about uh, Mike? Do you have a do you have a second a favorite monster uh-huh. ghoul from this movie? This one's less absurd, but more like I thought actually genuinely scary was the little ballerina girl with like the rows of um teeth for yeah her face. It reminded me of it like was... the demogorgon from uh stranger things as her face yeah it was really unnerving because like every everything else about her was this like pristine little ballerina girl and then she turns her face around and it it looks like one of those guillermo del toro pan yes. labyrinth yeah kind of creations and it was it's sort of interesting because it just you know it i don't really know if the ballerina girl actually munched on anybody's face i don't think which is a shame to create that character twirling around like spookily during the whole scene but she was really creepy yeah joe 
I liked the clown. Um, it looked like a Pennywise ripoff. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, the clown that as he's was, like uh, wearing the bullets from the from the female like lab worker and just keeps coming closer with the knife. Oh, that was yeah. a good shot. Yeah, how about you? What's uh, next? I'm gonna go with the baby face mask family. That's like sort of purgy, sort of strangers. Strange. Yeah, I yeah. Strangers vibe. Yeah, I like yeah. that one. Mike, yeah. do you have a third? Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies, but I appreciate, like I, I mentioned, like all the references. There was like the, the two twin girls from The Shining. Yeah, and one of the cues. And they yeah. were just like, my last one is, um, <laughs> which didn't really make a whole lot of sense for me that they were thrown in here, but there were pterodactyls flying yep. around. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess Jurassic Park, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think of pterodactyls as scary horror movie creatures but i i appreciated the their their presence in this scene and they were going after people they were some deadly pterodactyls yeah i think for my last one i will go with so it's it's a very short snippet but it's after remember the bat thing flies into their control room they have to break out of there they run away there's the cobra that's running havoc they look one way and they can't go that way. And they look the other way and there's just like a girl in a white dress, like s- slowly stalking, standing over like somebody that's clearly been maimed who's trying to crawl away. And this girl in this white dress, we never see her face. We never see again. It's just slowly stalking this body, drag itself along the floor. That, just, that was just like super creepy to me. Um, and I was there a movie. Was there a movie reference for that? I think? don't know. I was kind of. It's kind of ringish, but then obviously the whole the the whole J horror scene um, with the with the schoolroom of kids that was also very kind of ringish as well. But little little scary girls very scare me yeah. very much. I was gonna go ballerina if Mike hadn't taken it. Um, but this is also a good time to mention a fun movie fact about this. Um, yeah. If you look, if you get to the end of the credits, you'll notice that the special makeup effects in this movie were designed by David Leroy Anderson and the company AFX Studio. And the first person credited in AFX crew is someone named Heather L. Anderson. Who, who is that, Frank? Who Tell us li- more. Who our listeners would know by her maiden name, Heather Loggenkamp. She is Nancy from the original Nightmare on Elm Street series. Her and her husband, oh, wow. David Anderson, have a makeup effects company, and they worked on this movie. They earned a paycheck, I bet, because they had a lot of work to do, I feel like, with Ooh. the makeup and, and all the special effects. And they did a great job. I mean, when you see all the different types of monsters and deaths, and I'm sure a lot of work went into... The, the make the makeup and visuals in general um yeah. that's cool that she that's like her line of work now should we do nightmare on elm street for our next movie oh yeah we're, we're doing nightmare on elm street now. okay cool i think it's time but i guess on that note let's move to our very final piece of the third act here marty and dana escape to the lair where where essentially um you know it stares down to a room that has cliffs all the way around the room but also has the giant um stone carvings that have gotten blood poured into them um shows up sigourney weaver is apparently yes. we hear her she's voice sigourney earlier yeah alien theme. yes yes um we but hear she's her... the director um that's her her um her name or her, that's her character in the movie the director yeah. and she, and she, she tells us... them all about the ancient ones yeah and she explains everything and ties everything up nicely and neatly for the viewer if you had any questions about what was going on she gives us all the explanation how there's this yeah the ancient ones are these these sort of gods that live you know beneath the earth or whatever they used to um, roll the earth 
and as a way to kind of placate them and and whatnot to please them there's this ritual where five people are sacrificed and um in order to in order to kind of please these gods the sacrifice is made and then this kind of keeps humanity alive and saves humanity but there there has to be five types of um people that are that are sacrificed to sort of bring about this ritual we have um, the whore, the athlete, the scholar, and the fool, they all must suffer and die. And the then, whore must die first. Right. And then there's the last one who is the virgin, and whether she lives or not doesn't really matter, but um, there's like these five kind of archetypes that must, you know, exist for this sacrifice to be performed correctly. Um, and without the sacrifice, again, everyone dies. So now we, as the viewer, understand exactly why all these characters were sort of morphing or, or molding yeah. into these stereotypes, what was going on. Yeah. And we learned um, that none of the scenes, we, they kind of closed the loop on none of them actually being their stereotype, right? The whore Marty says earlier that Jules, Jules isn't like that. She isn't a floozy. She's not the kind of girl that would do this sort of thing. Well, the what I love is when um, Dana is like, wait, but I'm not a virgin. <laughs> or if someone says that yeah. and she's, and Sigourney goes, well, we work with what we have. Yeah. This is what a, <laughs> Uh, uh, so, yeah, basically, a... Sigourney lays it on them. Listen, either either Marty dies, or Marty doesn't die, or you die first, and literally the world will come to an end. The uh, the the zombie from the beginning of the movie with one arm comes in and kills Sigourney Weaver after she tells him, "Listen, you either die for humanity or you die with humanity," and they decide to die with humanity. Yeah, but there's this moment though where she draws the gun and points it at him, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, I I think that there was this kind of moment where she was definitely thinking about, um, you know, is this the right move to to kill him and to save the rest of humanity? It, it, Dana Dana draws the gun of, on Marty. Yeah, right. So that, that that classic moment where you're sort of like the greatest good for the greatest number. Yeah, it's a tough position to be in, but ultimately after that that moment where she kills Marty, she ends up just kind of accepting her fate with Marty and they're like, "You know what? We'll just go down with all of humanity." They uh smoke a joint and uh, I love when Dana's like, wait, I don't think Kurt even has a cousin, which was kind of what precipitated them going to this cabin to begin <laughs> with. Um, so it's just funny, like all these realizations coming about. But um, And a giant, a giant, giant hand comes roaring up through they the They die. Earth. They go down. All yeah. like the boulders start tumbling. I mean, and yeah, you see this huge hand come Really? Up. I mean, like, I think we can all agree. As humanity, we can agree. Screw Marty. Like, put the gun in your mouth and save us all. Seriously. What are you, are you gonna you're gonna miss out on a life of smoking your thermos bong? Like, come on, man. You had nothing going on. So, Frank, I'm wondering if if what your thoughts are about the ending. I see, I didn't like it. I that explanation just felt like I mean, obviously, like all horse horror and sci-fi movies are in some way based around like defying like the rules of the world that we live in. But like it just felt too far. It wasn't I didn't feel like a clever enough like explanation for what was going on obviously we don't get any kind of we don't get any backstory on how this scenario or the others around the world by the way in the japanese scene where was the whore the athlete the scholar and the fool and the virgin those are a whole bunch of nine-year-old children um, i think it, it depends on the culture so the you i think u.s movies like slasher movies are pretty i mean maybe to some those are our rules to america but with yeah. you know 
Asian horror films, you often see these ring type, more like ghoul, ghostly figure, demon spirits. So yeah. I think it kind of adjusts based on um, what country you're in. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I didn't like the payoff. The one thing I will say, though, and it occurred to me yesterday, are they implying with this movie that all of these movies that we've seen that fit this trope are like, in the same world as this movie and they are all because they say this is a yearly ritual so Funny all of, you mentioned that because i was actually thinking the same thing like, yeah are they, yeah are they assuming that all those movies are real in a way like in this world or yeah yeah is it just sort of commentary on that i think they're saying that yeah like those movies are like real in a sense and they all follow that mold yeah and that stereotype to please this that's why we do this exactly gods every year which goes to their bigger which goes to their kind of like bigger picture of like a commentary and so i don't know it's not it's not the worst movie ever but i just like didn't i didn't like it becoming this kind of like brutal mayhem in the basement and then everything that we saw earlier in the movie that felt kind of good even though it was on the nose is just completely contrived i I don't know it didn't it didn't hit with me what about you you? what do you think mike i mean i i definitely felt like it was interesting on one level because um, for, you know, as an English teacher, I used to teach this story called The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Shout out to, shout out to Shirley. Shirley Jackson um, getting a lot of play on this episode. Yeah, she's getting a lot of play. And she has this awesome short story where it's this, um, this, you know, secluded community that um, over the course of the story, um, it becomes clear that they're preparing for this human sacrifice and they, they, they sort of decide each year um, through this lottery system who's going to be sacrificed, you know, and it's, it, it's sort of, um, you know, a, a masterpiece in, in suspense and, and foreshadowing. And the whole idea is that it's this kind of like, even though the society's kind of modern, it's still primitive in thinking that like, only the harvest will be bountiful if we sacrifice this this person each year and it's all this like kind of i think a commentary on like how convoluted many people's justifications are for like you know explaining the cruelty and suffering in the world like why do harvests fail why do you know why do people die why why do um why is there pain and, and sadness in the world? And I mean, that's what, that's what I think that they're, they're in, on one level referencing like those like Old Testament or like Greek gods who like, you know, they're when they played with humanity and well, for sure. And I mean, the, of, the ancient ones that are below them that are dictating this, they're, they are classic Old Testament cruel wrathful almost kind of revengeful gods you know what i mean exactly but it's like i I get it and i I think you're right too and like you put it that way maybe maybe no no it deserves a little more credit interesting on one level but in this movie i almost feel like it would have been better if there were no actual gods like it would have been more interesting if you know everything that they're doing creating this ritual every single year and all around the world if it was just like a commentary on how we create tales, you know, how we, um, 
we, we sacrifice these people every year, but for these gods that don't actually exist. I almost would have liked the movie to like not show the hand at the end of, yeah. of the god if it would have just been like almost more like Wicker Man-ish. Well, it's because like I, I, I need a bad guy, right? And th- these people in the in the basement end up not really being bad guys. They're kind of just cogs in this right. big wheel of appeasing the ancient ones. But I totally agree. But let's yeah. let's pivot to the only person that really liked this movie. Joe, like, what, what was your kind of takeaway from the end? Um, I'm not into mythology, so I actually, like, that whole piece of it was a little cheesy to me, but understanding the world that we're in within this movie, I get it. I liked it. I thought it was a neat kind of explanation for why things are the way they are and kind of connecting it to all these horror stereotypes and cliches. Again, I'm, I'm kind of glad it didn't go in the direction of... Uh, horror reality show or um, some kind of hostile situation where it's like these rich people watching people get killed. I, I, I've never seen anything like this. And even though it could, I, I could see how it's polarizing, but I thought it was fun. I thought it was a cool, neat ending. Um, it's certainly original and unique. So scary. Um, and would you recommend I it? I take my hat off to them. Uh, <laughs> the filmmakers. For scary, this scary. And would you recommend it? Uh, scary? No, there were maybe like, a, there were actually maybe, a handful of scenes that I did jump at, but yeah. overall, I didn't think it was scary. The- recommend it absolutely. <laughs> I think it's such a fun, um, different uh, take on horror movies, and uh, I think they do a good job of presenting something new and fresh. Yeah, the, cu- the cuts to the basement really take away from the tension of what's happening to them. So, it kind of really, it makes it hard to stay like scared and in the moment with them because of the kind of comedic breaks to the lab. Um, so I wouldn't say it was scary, although there were a few jump scares that got me even, even seeing it again. This is the kind of movie I recommend with like a huge caveat, right? There you go. Uh, I guess I, I, someone goes, Hey, have you seen Cabin in the Woods? Should I watch it? I go, if you feel like you've seen everything and that horror feels kind of unoriginal and with the caveat that I didn't really like what they did with it, go ahead and see it. But like, it's not, I, it's, I get why people like it. It's just not something that, like, I wouldn't recommend it to myself. You know what I mean? Like, someone with my taste for movies, I didn't personally like it. So I wouldn't, I would maybe half-heartedly recommend it or not recommend okay. it. What about but you, yeah. Mike? I mean, I, I'm of two minds because I, I think that the ending is definitely not how I would have preferred them to end. I think that they had, like, absolutely no restraint whatsoever. They, like, through the kitchen sink at the at the viewer it's like let me show you every single horror movie villain slash monster that exists in the pantheon of horror movies and i I think that that's it's almost like it it's meant i think to make a point but um at the same time i think it sacrifices like the storytelling and like it actually like paying off for the viewer. I think that they were just a little bit too proud of themselves, like patting themselves on. The- oh, they were very proud of themselves for this, for sure. Look, it's very look ambitious. At, like, it what is. I'm, what commentary I'm making about horror movies and yeah. like horror movie audiences and and critics and and you know why can't anybody come up with like an original idea? Yeah. And even while doing that, the ending was in my view, not original. So I, I don't even know if they've even like passed their own test. I'm not, I'm not going to let you get out of it. Well, would you recommend it? 
Uh, I mean, yes, only for the merman payoff. Did you think it was scary or, or was too much comedy to really be scary? As a person who's definitely like not not a huge fan of, of like scary, scary movies, I think it was too absurd to actually be scary. Yeah. Like even the scenes where like it was supposed to be like the most violent, it was so much blood and so much death that it yeah. was almost like, you know, too absurd to really be scary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Joe, did you do a scare they now? No. So thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> I meant, did you, did you come to the table with a scare they now? Which we touched upon a little bit is uh, the one and only Sigourney Weaver, uh, oh, which yeah. is, I thought a fun um, moment in the movie when again, she's revealed to be you know the, the director yeah. of all this. Uh, so we know Sigourney from Alien. She played Ripley in Alien, a bunch of the sequels. Um, her next Ghostbusters, Joe. Ghostbusters. So the one hesitation I had of making her scare are they now is that we would have to talk about Ghostbusters, which I thought we would not do for one. <laughs> it was on TV uh, the other day, and I really enjoyed it. Ghostbusters sequel. <laughs> She's also lined up to star in Avatar number two through five. There are so many sequels coming out. They, I don't did you know hear about why this? that's necessary. They filmed them all at once. Fill up five of these movies with what? But they they filmed they filmed them all at once. Apparently, it seems a little excessive. Yeah, seems excessive. But she's gonna be in all of them. I'm glad she's <laughs> out there and working still. We love Sigourney. Uh, um, but yeah, I think that wraps up Cabin in the Woods. Um, any final words or uh, reflections? Roses and thorns. Anyone have anything to say? My rose is the makeout scene between the, <laughs> the horror girl and the wolf. If you really want to be completely uncomfortable and not be able to like eat meals for like two days straight, then you should watch that. Is that more of a thorn? That, something you want to change? No, it's sort of like it's a rose and a thorn combo. <laughs> My yeah, my rose. Would, I'm glad we did this. My rose would definitely go to the only hero, only true hero in the movie, the thermos bong, and my thorn <laughs> would go to the stupid metaphor that they beat us over the head with. Oh but, uh, gosh! Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, on that note, take, everyone watch this movie. Don't listen to Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, take care. Social distance. Hang in there. Yeah, and let us know if you want us to do a particular movie. Frank and I always have ideas of movies to review, but if there's something that um, you're dying for us to weigh in on and to present let us know we're always open to suggestions um but yeah stay well stay healthy good seeing you frank yeah and thanks and, to uh, thanks to mike for joining us yeah thank you special guest mm. and cheers cheers boys boom <laughs>